This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman. This is London FinTech Podcast, episode 186, brought to you in association with Smart Pension and EnlistedBoard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Richard Arundel, co-founder of Currency Cloud, to talk about the challenge of managing business and culture as fintechs scale and spread globally. When you and a chum start your fintech, or for that matter, any other company, you don't need a culture as such. Your culture is whatever and however you two happen to do things. For some time, the company's vibe remains collaborative as you are, quotes, and probably literally, well, back in the day anyway, quotes, all in the same room. And like any bunch of folk, you develop a modus vivendi as well as a modus operandi. Indeed, it is these characteristics that give the new starter great advantages of speed and flexibility over incumbents. Growth is not only good in such circumstances, but generally essential to reach the scale of business that it takes to produce profitability in a complex tech and regulatory orientated industry. However, like everything in this realm of duality, no matter how thinly you slice it, everything has two sides. One of the key challenges of growth, and this applies to us all as people, as well as at the scale of businesses, is growing up without growing old. You want to mature like a fine wine, whilst retaining the fun, experimental, playful exuberance and flexible aspects of childhood. Naturally, this is easier said than done, both for people and for companies. For companies, the increasing specialization and physical scale leads to greater speciation. For example, we have the regulatory department and then we have the sales department and then we have the marketing department. We start creating silos and it's all too easy for organogrammitis to creep in. Naturally, these challenges are only magnified when your colleagues become not just at worst a floor or two away, but thousands of miles away. Currency Cloud was one of London's very first fintechs, having been founded in 2009 and has been going strong ever since. As Richard has been there for the whole journey, he's well placed to talk about the practice as well as the, hmm, that sounds fairly simple, theory. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Morning, Mike. Great to be here. Great introduction. Some, some words I really didn't understand there. Oh, good. Looking forward to talking about them, but, but great to be here. Well, one of my secrets is I sort of flick through the dictionary and sort of uh, pick words at random. I mean, I, I remember <laughs> going back to when I was young and flexible and in fixed income fund management when, when I was a, a junior fund manager. Uh, the kind of relatively recent grants had this game that you'd pick some very bizarre word. And it was the first person who could slip it into the meeting, actually. So I got quite, good, quite adept at, uh, at that. So that's clearly what I've, what I've done there in terms of some of these fancy words, uh, like organogrammitis. I'm sure Big Pharma will have a mandatory vaccine for that fairly soon. <laughs> I sat here half an hour before the show, kind of going, going through some of it with a dictionary. Yeah, yeah. And you still couldn't find, find them. some of them. So. No, no, I just, make, I just make them up, you see. I mean, you're, you're obviously a sort of confident chap because... Because most people don't dare to say they haven't heard of words. You see, that's, that's the other thing is you can use totally made up words, and almost never will anybody say you what. 
Sorry, what does that mean? And, and that sounds like a silly comment, which of course it is a silly comment, like most of my comments, but however, that's super relevant actually, and, and going back to when I was a global head of risk, it's the hidden assumption that kills people. So actually, one of my skill sets that I learned in big banking was to ask stupid questions, because quite often you'd find that actually nobody really understands that. Everyone's glossing over the same kind of thing, you know? I think that's probably quite relevant to what we're going to talk about today, actually. And especially in kind of a, a world that's kind of restricted in terms of movement and what we can do remote first. And it's, it's having the, um, the confidence to put your hand up, I think, is, is tough in an in-person world, but certainly in a remote world where you're kind of raising your hand on, on Zoom or, or Hangouts to ask what is possibly a stupid question. is a skill I think we all need to learn and master. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's easier for sort of the senior people when it's, quote, your business, unquote, putting the VCs and all that kind of stuff to one side. But from a management perspective, you're the guys. But, it, you know, if as a sort of junior or, or mid-level person, there is a balance to be struck between keeping your mouth shut and assuming that everybody older and wiser actually is older and wiser on this particular matter. And on the other hand, being somebody who's just constant sort of blabbing on, you know, some people, for example, even read my introductions and say they didn't understand half the words. It's extraordinary, really. So it's, it's something that takes some balance. Anyway, moving on from that. So what was your career journey then? I mean, your, your career for the last sort of dozen or so years has been currency cloud. So from the outside, anyway, that's relatively simple. I'm sure things have evolved inside, as, as we shall hear when you, you elaborate this whole sort of growthy thing. But what were you doing before you became a currency cloud? Yeah, so I've been at currency cloud now for 12 years. Before that, I was involved in, in kind of foreign exchange. I was at a company called HIFX, which is now kind of better known under the name of XE.com. I don't really want to admit what I was doing before that. <laughs> Her Majesty's pleasure. <laughs> I know, straight out of university, I kind of fell into a summer job as <clears throat> an estate agent and for, for American friends of real estate, but I enjoyed it. What was supposed to be three months ended up being about two and a half years of you know the glitz and glamour of showing people around you know big houses as like a 20-something-year-old. But after kind of two and a half years, I was convinced that perhaps I should kind of branch out. So that's when I kind of moved up into, into the city and started my, my journey in, in kind of FX. Yes. One thing I mentioned on the podcast before, Bridget, my partner, her first incarnation was as a, what is it, just chartered surveyor or something like that. This was back in the day, I think in the 80s and that. And, and she did a, a lot of surveying in the sort of... Um, Oh, what is it? What's, what's that sort of trendy part of London? It's so long, I can't even remember. Shoreditch. Shoreditch, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Shoreditch and all that kind of area, when it was still very old school, by which I mean you could go to a tiny building and it would be sort of like a leather factory, and it would probably have been the same for sort of centuries and centuries. So with hindsight, it's always the sort of, it's the strange things that you look back on and say, actually, that was quite fun. Because it's not the kind of thing you'd ever tell sort of somebody who's uh, leaving school or university and says, oh, I want a job. And you sort of tell them, that, that, that sounds really boring. But actually, it was really interesting because it was a period of time which, had, which really it was the same kind of business structure you see for centuries. You go to somewhere like Bangkok still, you can find small businesses and they've been like that for centuries. All that, of course, has been swept away by sort of big buildings and, and that. So it's, it's odd what's entertaining. But yes, I have been told that sort of property is more interesting than it looks. I think there's one thing sitting at a dinner party saying you're a chartered surveyor. And one thing saying you're an estate agent. I think at that point, <laughs> and this isn't belittling my, my, my colleagues, I, I actually found it really interesting, but at that point there was a, a stigma attached that you were kind of a rung below a double glazing salesman. I think that's changed slightly. Listen, I really enjoyed it. And we'll, we'll talk about culture actually a lot on, on the show. And there, there was a really good kind of culture in, in, in the team that I worked in. But I, you know, two and a half years later, I kind of decided that maybe there's something out, out there that I want to kind of test myself in. 
which is why I went into a world that I didn't really understand at that point, which was kind of FX and, and foreign exchange. And again, I was again lucky to find a you know a company with it with a great culture. Was there for three and a half ish years, and then we had this this crazy idea to set up a, a company, which has been my life for the last twelve years. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because looking back, it's always this sort of the enjoyable time is when there are a bunch of you doing stuff. And I do believe, although this has definitely been lost in the in the big coast, in the incumbents these days, because they're just driven by regulation and you might as well be the sort of Chinese army. Everything's so sort of boxed and, and squared. But uh, in the old FS, the sort of before this tsunami of regulation came along, entrepreneurialism was quite important, especially in sort of like the merchant banks and things like that. But obviously, in the whole startup-y, fintech-y or any tech-y world, it's really, really important to understand business. And I think there's no better way of understanding business, whether it is back in the day. We might hire some FX trader who worked as a barrier boy buying and selling tomatoes. That gives you a feel for business in a totally different way that reading some textbooks at INSEAD gives you. I'm not dissing INSEAD, but I'm just saying, if you've got stuff and buying and selling, at the end of the day, oh God, I've got these bloody tomatoes, that gives you a visceral feel for the essence of business, which you can't replicate any other way. No, agree, agree. So let's move on from tomatoes and, and houses. <laughs> you were telling me actually that Currency Cloud, we should do a shout out, has got, has got a podcast. This is why you're sort of so professional, you see, because uh, obviously you're used to these things. What's your, what's your podcast? Do you want to give it a shout out en passant? Yeah, I'm, I'm usually the one kind of asking the question. So uh, our podcast is called Payments Innovation. And it kind of set up, we, we set it up as, a, I guess, maybe all these things as, as more of a, an interest. I mean, we're lucky enough in our business to work with a number of kind of really kind of cool, innovative companies. These are the ones that are kind of innovating and driving business across the world. So we set it up as a discussion around anything that's going on in the world of payments and innovation in the world of payments. And we've done you know, lots of different things. Um, yeah, you talked about the fun and games of regulation, and we have plenty of people in it. We're, we live in a very heavily re- regulated world. We have people talking about how regulation is, you know, becoming sexy again, which is interesting. And and yeah, that's all your face. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there's so much going on, and we have we have at the moment this is um, across the Atlantic. So it's we interview people here in the UK, across Europe, and also in in North America. And as we expand into Asia Pacific, we'll have lots of guests on um, from there. But it's been really good fun. I do less of them these days, but we've, you know, we've got kind of three or four really good hosts. Great way for them to learn as well and to kind of put themselves out there as as thought leaders. There's some really interesting ones. So if you have spare time, check it out. Payments Innovation. I think we release a new episode every week. Can't remember what number we're up to now. Probably a couple hundred. Oh, I see. Yes. So you're much more hardworking than I, who's sort of too lazy to do it every week and just does a every other week. But it's just you, though. So luckily, we have a few kind of willing hosts who say, "Listen, I'm happy to happy to put my hand up and and talk." Yes, and it is one of the the. Uh, I mean, I'm not just talking my own book. It, it is one of the um, major developments in kind of education, uh, shall we say, in the broadest sense, of the last 15 years, which is that, for the sake of argument, if you're a payments nerd or you want to be a payments nerd, you go, you know, 20 years ago, how would you do it? Maybe yeah. be like one book in Waterstones, and you'd read that book, but you try and get a job and apprentice yourself. These days, you can listen to a few of those, and you actually sort of learn a hell of a lot very rapidly. So it's a good thing. Now, moving on to this culture issue i think there's sort of really sort of three bu- buckets which is what the bloody hell is culture it sounds like some sort of namby pamby word you know it's not sort of a real man in old money i'm sure lemmy didn't define a culture for motorhead shall we say and it's used by many people i mean in terms of this podcast i think the majority of listeners are outside the uk but even then who, who knows whether you and i define culture in, in precisely the uh, the same way because it? it's sort of slightly undefinable so so what is culture how and we can talk about this over your whole career as well as through currency cloud how have you experienced culture when when were you actually sort of thinking oh there's a culture here in this day 
estate agency or in FX market or in currency cloud. Um, or as I said in my intro, on, on day one, uh, I don't know how many co-founders, co you and Nigel Verdon or something were sitting in a room uh, and you, you, just, you didn't think, oh, let's, what's our culture, Nigel? We just did shit, didn't you? And then it sort of grew over time. So there's the whole culture thing. How do you define it? How have you experienced it? And how have you seen that changing? And then I think there are broadly two other main categories, which is the centripetal force. As I've said before, Ibn Khaldun's word Asabiyah from the 15th century Tunisian historiographer. What is it that binds a group of people together and makes them more, more than the sum of the parts? And then also we've got the centrifugal force. But anyway, first things first. So when you say culture, what do you actually mean by culture, Richard? And, and how has your understanding or even awareness that there is such a thing changed over your, over your whole career? And then we'll zoom in a bit more to currency cloud and, and, and scaling and globalising. Yeah. And listen, I think the important thing here is to say that I don't think I have all the answers on this, you know, and, and, and the the, the culture that I define may be very different to the culture that you define or someone else defines it. And I think even in the 12 years at Currency Cloud, it's changed massively, my, my opinion on, on what culture is. And I think sometimes fintechs, and we, we were a fintech, you get labelled with, you know, people say culture, and does that mean someone ping pong tables? Uh, beers on a Friday. But you laugh, but I think there, there is a stigma attached to that. But actually, I think, as I define culture now, I actually kind of look at it as the, the health of the organisation. And I think by, by that I mean is you know, this is a culture where you have absolute kind of clarity over kind of what you're doing. There's minimal politics, there's minimal confusion in what you're doing. There's kind of high morale, there's high productivity. But that's, that's how we've defined culture. That's how Currency Cloud kind of look at it. Obviously, you know, the culture, as I said, is defined differently across different organisations. But I think really it's kind of, a, I guess, a feeling of what drives you to want to work at a certain organisation. And that's kind of how I look at it. As I said, it's, it's very different. And from, from us, you know, we, we kind of define our culture and we push our culture. And we're, we're moving on to, I guess, the, the points two and three that you mentioned. But I think they are very closely linked in terms of the kind of centrifugal and centripetal forces. But for us, it's, I think we, we define our culture by, by our values, actually. And we have kind of three distinct values in which we live and breathe and we hire and fire by. And, and these are better together, they own it, and they're be human. But... I think what's important are these aren't values that are manufactured in a, in a boardroom or a classroom. These are something that are kind of within our DNA. It's something we, we, we look for in, in new hires and, and existing people. But it's just a feeling and it's, it's, it's how you act around each other. It's how you act within a, within a business. Right. OK, so there's quite a lot in, in, in there. I mean, um... Unpick that. <laughs> yes, quite, exactly, yes. <laughs> in no more than six words, follow up, follow up that. So you're taking a sort of... A a broad view of kind of the human dynamics uh, of, as you say, reducing office politics, which is one of the things that tends to come with organogrammitis. You know, for the sake of argument, if you're 100,000 people in five years' time, it's going to be a hell of a lot more of a challenge to keep office politics sort of off the table, whereas when you're still relatively compact, it is easier, although we still get the, we'll come on to it later, we still get the sort of the human um, frictions. And in terms of your definition, you've got one. You say it's not just a sort of... Uh, don't like the American word pushback, but I mean, just to push back for, for the sake of ping-ponging on that. In terms of the values, in the early 90s, this idea of having a mission or a vision or something yep. came into fashion. It just came out of thin air or probably from America or something like that. And so the Climate Board decided that it, it needed one. And there were two camps of which the then chief executive was in what ended up being the minority camp. And he was roughly along the lines of, this is a load of bollocks. And a vision was produced, you know, the kind of, we're customer-focused, value-added mumble, mumble, mumble. And his critique of this, which has is, which is stuck with, with me to this day, is that if you can include a not in such a vision, mission, or culture statement, 
and the sentence becomes meaningless, then it's not actually in itself conveying something. So saying, you know, for example, a business says, we are customer driven. So would a business ever say we are not customer driven? I mean, they might actually be that, but as a vision, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't have it. So just sort of picking, just picking sort of holes in your culture. The first one, that on that criteria, it would be sort of better together. Well, what's the opposite of that? We'll be better apart. Uh, so I'm not seeking to sort of tear your words to pieces, but what I'm, I'm just trying to get here is that the words are a kind of, and this is one of the problems with culture as a whole, they're a shorthand. They're a pointer to something. It's like seeing a signpost saying London, 46 miles. The signpost isn't London. It's just saying it's over this direction. So presumably, were you to change it from sort of three pairs of words into, shall we say, a thousand words, yep. you'd have a hell of a lot more amplifying what currency cloud mean by better together than, for example, I don't know, uh, what funding circle mean by better together or what Alipay mean by better together. And so how do you go, how do you actually sort of convey what's sort of more nuanced than the sort of the, the sort of slogan, which it has to be short because otherwise it's a summary and no one can remember it. You know, if you told me a thousand words, I wouldn't remember any of them. The fact that you can give them some to me is that like, let's say I'm applying for a role at your firm. I can say, oh yeah, so when you guys say better together, what, what do you actually mean by that? So what, what's the sort of the, the explosion of that? What's the amplification of just, t- just picking that as one example? Yeah, and I think one of the ways, and better together means various things. And some of them, you know, to your point, may well be the same or, or true to many organizations. I think, I think one of the ways in which we define it at Currency Cloud is when we talk about it, not internally, but externally with our, with our customers or with our partners and actually how we operate. And because we are kind of this, what we refer to as this like B to B to X model. So we're not direct to market. We, use, we, we work with our customers, but we work really closely with our customers we don't see ourselves as a, a vendor-client relationship. We're not a piece of software you take off the shelf and never really speak to us. We have a, you know, a, a very kind of sage brand. We've been around, as you said, since kind of fintech was a, you know, became a thing back in 2009. And, and we've kind of grown up with some of the, the now fintech behemoths. But it's very much an approach of collaboration with our customers. We work really, really hard for this. And I think our customers say this as well. So it's not just an internal thing one of our values it's as we look at it we don't want that vendor client relationship we want a partnership and that's how we kind of approach and the, the same with with our vendors on the supply side with our banking partners with our payment um, providers and we view this going back to your point around the purpose we have a purpose we have a we have a mission statement and we look at it as you know we're here to reimagine the way that money flows to create a better tomorrow for all and i think we are just a part of that puzzle so we've got to work with, with our customers, with our suppliers, because this is all around you and I, the end customer. This is all around kind of the innovation and moving money, keeping people's money safe for, for good, for good purposes. And if you think about the types of kind of business and, and, and why money moves, this isn't just about to pay invoices, but this is, you know, we have big roots in remittance. And this is people sending money back home so their families can you know, can feed themselves and feed their families. So I think that, and, and various people in our company, they, may, they might be really aligned to that purpose, but they might also be aligned to actually what we do. You know, the functional, okay, so you are a technology provider for payments. And some people get out of med- better motivated for that. Some people are motivated by the purpose. So I understand your point about the CEO who's maybe in the minority who, who cared about, actually it's about what we're doing, not why we're doing it. There are people, different people in different camps. Yes, I think that it, it's an interesting point. So I wasn't just sort of... Uh poking the guest through the bars with a, with a stick because I'm over pixels as opposed to sort of opposite to you. But it was to elucidate 
I think, a number of important things. Uh, and I see it as three layers, which is that you have to have your simple executive summary, which on its own can sound bland and can sound like everybody else's. We're customer focused. Well, everybody can say that. Yeah. But then the important thing, and, going, and this actually does relate to the sort of uh, the more sort of younger or, or, or mid-level management who haven't actually got sort of um, uh, so much confidence yet. You know, if you're, at a, if you're at an interview at a firm, I think it's really valuable for you to actually ask the question to elaborate. When they say, oh, our vision and mission is, you know, we're better together. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that. I like being together and, and move on it is, is actually to understand the level below that. Because let's just take P2P, for example, rate setter and Zopa and Funding Circle had very different cultures. They could have had the same thing. But if you, if you ask them to elaborate on the basic statement. So the first thing is that something that's sort of short enough is capable of elaboration. I think the, the other aspect of this elaboration is that going back to the vision and mission, like we're aiming for some of the highest peaks in the Alps you know, for our holiday. It needs to be flexible enough to cope with the fact that startups and scale-ups change over time and actually doing different hows and why, you know, this thing's changing over time, so it needs to be flexible. And then I think there's a there's another, the third layer, which is one of the reasons that sort of culture is a, is a challenge, which is that, to me anyway, and we'll use these words in different, different ways, I, I do think of them as signposts, like saying London's over there. Well, actually, London's quite a big thing. London's sort of slightly a bit to the left and a bit to the right and north and, north and south, which is that a, a lot of this is... Ultimately, if, you, if we kept talking for days about culture, your culture, you'd get into the nebulous, undefinable, well, actually, I think this, and someone else thinks that, and my feeling is this, my feeling that. You get to the kind of style thing, almost. Just going back to the example of Zopa, Ratesetter, Funding Circle, knowing them all over the last decade, they have different styles. Now, it would almost end up with me being a bit poetic or a bit caricature to try and, you know, if someone didn't know the difference, to say, well, okay, what's, what's Zopa style compared to rate setters and what's rate setters compared to... So, yeah, so a lot of this is actually sort of undefinable. And a lot of it people absorb almost by imitation or almost by being a, a primate. I mean, uh, I've mentioned before David Clementi, who was a chief executive at one, one, one point of, of Climewatts, uh, head of corporate finance, governor of the BBC, say no more about that one. And he said, oh, I don't think you're really a Climewatts person until you've been here five years. And, and I thought, that's a bit strange. But actually, once I've been there 10 years, I thought, well, actually, the people who are really Climewatts people have been here 10 years because all the undefinables you've kind of absorbed. So, yes, there's the, these three layers, which is summary, elaboration, which is very important, but then also just my personal feeling is that you can never fully define it, no matter how long you keep writing a book. No, I don't think you can. I also think it's important. It, it works both ways. I think, you know, if you're talking about the interviewee, you know, asking the question of what does that mean, define that for me. I think that's interesting because actually I'd, you can then flip that around. It's what it, what it means for you. What type of person are you? you know, are you someone who's really motivated by a purpose, by a deep purpose, and you know, for us to reimagine the, the way that money flows? That gets me out of bed. Or actually, are you really interested in the, the value side of things? And I go back to the better together because you know, we, we talk about this, and, and it's not just, as I said, I, I illustrated how we, we look at it in a, in a customer and supplier context and a, and a partnership context, but how we set our teams up I think this is really important, especially in kind of this kind of remote first world, for kind of cross-functional collaboration. And it's then how we invest in training our people to work well and to manage well in that environment and to kind of remotely learn through osmosis. And Because you know, as we scale up, we're now coming up to 450 people, I think. We certainly will be by the end of the year. 
it becomes harder and you know, you're cross-functional. You, you've, got to, you've got to be wary of kind of silos and, and little cultural silos in startups as well because culture isn't just defined by a company. I think, as you were saying earlier, it could be defined by the finance department, by the engineering department, by the, the sales department. So I think it's that cross-functional collaboration and that diversity of culture within an organisation certainly we feel is, is really, really important. Yes, and there's a hell of a lot that goes into making that happen. I was remembering my first incarnation in, in Bath um, when I joined a tech startup, as it would now be called. Uh, I was number 12, and we were all on one corridor mm. in Bath University. Managing directors used to do the washing up in the end if people were busy and all that kind of stuff. And then we moved into a beautiful Georgian house in the centre of Bath. It was really pretty. Really, really very nice, nicest office I've, I've ever been in. However, it was a Georgian house, so I had quite small rooms. So I was in the compiler team, where there were three of us, within the uh, overall Unix project, which was about a dozen on the project, within the company of which there were sort of two do- dozen or three dozen by then. Um, and of course, what happened? Because of the very architecture, which is that, you know, in the afternoon we'd shut the door in the compiler team. Before you know it, we're moaning about the, the, the team in the next door room. Of course, yeah. Because <laughs> that's how people bond together, in a sense, by sort of, you know, identifying the other, moaning about them, da 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 So this actually, just the, the very physical layout of the office caused fragmentation. So what then happened was, was actually just before I left, we then moved to some crap open plan office right near Bath Station, which was hideous because the management spotted this and thought, ah, Lovely building, but the architecture is, is atomizing our, our business. So we've got this big open plan floor. But then, of course, the open plan floor, trying to create a feel or a vibe or anything human about that was really very tricky. You know, you, you go into one of the mega banks and you've got sort of a thousand battery hens worth of traders lined up there. So, you know, there's no right answer. And there's many tricky things. And, and that leads me on to wondering, not just the definition, which we, we, we've touched on, but how have you communicated or implemented a culture in not more than six words? <laughs> or you can use a few more if you like, as you've scaled up. To, to 450 from sort of, you know, two men and a dog or whatever you were on day one. I can't do it in six words because I think it's, <laughs> because I think it's also changed massively in the last 18 months. Not just in terms of kind of our growth of the business, but we, we flipped from being an in-person kind of 3D culture to being a remote-first organisation. And in that time, we've, we've, we've opened up a, a, an office in Singapore as well to go with our offices in, in Cardiff, in, in, in New York. To your point around being in, in a in a Georgian house in Bath, you're in the same building and the same postcode. We're now across multiple time zones. And, you know, in, in the US, we have a New York office, but we have people all, all around the US as well. So I think a huge amount of investment, both monetary, but also kind of from, from time, but also a, you know, a, a laser focus on understanding that what the culture that we've built actually defines, to some extent, our success. And the health of our organisation is hugely important because it's a multiplier for having kind of a smart organisation. And by smart, I mean, yeah, you, can, you can find the smartest strategy people, salespeople, um, technicians. But without, you know, we, we came to the realisation this was, I think, probably luckily, it was about six months before um, kind of COVID hit. We really started investing in this as, a, as an executive team and working on it with us internally because we kind of said let's start with us let's start with the leadership team and build that kind of cohesive team make sure you know we're going back to the uh, the basics of of kind of building trust and i think that's what it all comes down to you said it in in your opening you know when when you set up a business with your chum then it's quite easy but it's probably because you trust that person and the founding team of of most businesses will would have probably worked with each other before or they've built some kind of rapport and and probably some amount of trust you wouldn't you wouldn't start a business with someone you didn't trust 
So I think for us, it's been a laser focus on that and putting it up in lights. So this is something we actively have to work on rather than culture being something that kind of bubbles up somewhere and you know, do you hire a you know, head of fun to, to organise the drinks parties? It's not that for us. It's so much deeper. So huge amounts of focus from, you know, from top down to make sure that we're living and breathing this and then investing where we can. I think it's that, that management layer is where people probably don't spend enough, enough time is they think actually if we go go down, and we're not a hierarchical company, but if you, if you go down and try and invest it from bottom up, I think you're missing a trick because I think you have to invest. It's a training exercise. It's, you know, it's, it's how to build this trust in an organisation and how to work on that and work on kind of healthy levels of conflict. So I think that for us builds, builds the culture that we've got. Yes, so hearing you speak and me having mentioned organograms before, and it's not something that's ever done in banks, but really in the modern world for an unlisted business, shall we say, just to simplify things, if you've got a sheet of paper with your organogram on it, which shows you know, where I am in the devs department or rather in the regulatory department, that's really essential because it's where do I sit, who do I report to and useful stuff like that. But really, these days, it needs to be a double-sided sheet of paper because you should turn it over and say... Okay, notwithstanding the other side of this sheet of paper, this is how we do things at the London FinTech podcast. We you know, operate in, in these kind of ways. And this brings us on to centripetal force, how you actually bind people to, together. And you mentioned sort of drinks in the pub, and I was recollecting that oh, for centuries and centuries and centuries, certainly in guilds and certainly in companies for centuries, they were units of society in England uh, for a thousand years. And so... For example, chartered companies would have their own feast days and, and festival days, and you see a residue of this with the Lord Mayor's procession. There'd be some special feast day we, from which we've got sort of vestigial remains of things like the office Christmas party, which is probably more sort of fun when you're, when you're, you're young as an occasion, but just sort of informal drinks and, and all that kind of stuff. So in terms of binding people together, which, as you say, has only got harder because everyone's stuck at home because they're not really bound together in the same way they used to be bound together in terms of going out and getting pissed together or, or having lunch together or just going to the coffee room together or whatever. So just very briefly, because we could do a whole podcast on, on this one. At Currency Cloud, over your dozen years, what have you found that works best to bind people who you hire and grow into currency cloud as opposed to a bunch of employees i think it starts with the hiring it starts with hiring the right people it starts with hiring who are invested in and excuse my french but we like to hire smart people who give a shit and i think if you start there you're already way ahead because i think that that is binding people because they really care about what you either what you're doing or the, or the purpose to, to back to the, um, the previous point in recent times what we've done is whilst we've moved to a remote first environment and, and we do lots of cross-functional stuff we work really really hard on kind of cross-functional collaboration in kind of kind of small teams well I, I still truly believe that you have to get people together once every six months once every quarter in in groups because i'm now going up to the office about once a week and 3d interaction is is underrated whatever your tonic whether this is going to the pub, whether this is you know just going out for coffee, just be able to see people face to face, and that that becomes harder as as you you scale globally. But starts with hiring and you keep that that human element. Quite. I mean, we are primarily primates with a little bit of a sort of difference in the DNA, which seems to have a non-linear effect on on how we operate. But we are primates, and primates are bonded together socially in these sort of invisible, energetic, relationally uh, ways. So that's very easy to forget, um, and it's been much harder. As you say, now, in terms of just one word, I want to pick you up on vocabulary, because uh, in terms of expanding the listener's vocabulary, you're still a relatively young man. I'm sort of ancient by now. Uh, but you used a word that uh, someone as old as me actually recognised, although it did send a shiver down my spine. Uh, and, um, but many people may not have heard this word, actually. Uh, you said the baby sham was very relevant. 
<laughs> what is Baby Sham? So this was the early days. This was our hiring policy for the first, I don't know, 25 or so people, where the interview was only over when you took it outside the interview room and you took them to the bar. And again, you know, it didn't have to be alcoholic, but this is to, to see what you're really like. You might perform really well in a in a um, interview, but this was, I guess, classified as the arsehole test. And when your guard's down, then is there something that you let slip? And, you know, out of the 20 or so people we put through this, there were four or five who didn't make it because, you know, they'd studied, they'd learned. This is how to prepare for an interview. You know, they, they, they practiced in the mirror. But then suddenly when they thought they're done and you shook their hands and said, yeah, really well done. Yeah, a drink inside them, different person. Yes, and it's very similar to the, even in the old days, um, you know, you, you, you go for an interview somewhere. But uh, an important component was how well you, you had, as an interviewee, treated the secretary on the way in. Yeah. You, if, you, if you showed a disdain, game over. And nowadays, I think, you know, it's, whilst we, we don't do the same thing, our interview process, we do include... You know, many different people who, you know, I don't know anything about certain roles in, in our business, but I might be brought in to talk to someone and say, listen, can you work with this person? You know, is, is that something we're missing here? And I think that's probably commonplace across many businesses. It's, you know, that, that final test, one or two people who say, you know what, yes, or, or no. Good. Okay. And uh, for the, 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 the fortunately relatively young who never heard of Baby Sham before, Baby Sham was a particularly naff and nasty drink <laughs> I've never had in my entire life. It was certainly from the uh, 70s. I think it's sort of baby champagne or something, but it was sparkly and, uh, and unpleasant. So all I can say is I'm very glad that you, Richard, and, and Mr. Verdon as well, your, your co-founder, have, have got beyond the stage where all you could afford was, was Baby Sham and uh, <laughs> you can have something a little bit better. So look, time is going by. We could talk about this forever. Um, so we've got the centripetal force. You bind people together and you've given some clear explanations of, of how you guys have approached it and how it's really important right from the very offset before the people literally turn up on day one as it were because then it's a bit late on day one you need to start on day, day zero or day minus one now the other thing and again this could be a whole podcast in itself is the opposite which is the centrifugal force which is sort of groups of human beings <laughs> sadly we're seeing this in america <laughs> big time right now can be sort of split apart can be can be tribalized can be organogrammatized can be sort of flung into different subcultures different parts the organograms in frictions. I mean, I've done various, in the noughties, various turnaround projects at sort of uh, megabanks where they'd gone wrong. And one of the problems there was simply that, you know, in megabank, this unit didn't like that unit whatsoever yeah. and wasn't going to speak to it. And so that's, that's sort of, you know, that's in extremis. But also, even if you're just a startup of, going back to um, my practice incarnation, uh, even when we're a few dozen, there were interpersonal frictions as there are when you stick everybody under a roof of a Georgian building. So that there's always this kind of Brownian motion, heat, energy, trying to sort of split people a, a, apart. So um, just very briefly, under the sort of rubric of um, centrifugal force, how do, you, how do you see that? I think it's a natural phenomenon that you need to learn to probably counterbalance, but you le- need to learn to appreciate. And, you know, we've done various things as various kind of training. You can put people through kind of, I think it's referred to SDI training around understanding people's kind of motivations. STI, isn't, wasn't that sexually transmitted infections? No, no. That would this is, definitely cause them to This is around before. strength development industry training. This is oh, around D, motivators. D, I beg your pardon. D, sorry. The concept of people are motivated by kind of three things in terms of process, performance or, or people. And where do you fit in kind of that, that diagram? And the more you understand about people, I think the more, more you understand the impact of these forces on them. But I think it... For me, it kind of, it's all around, and going back to the, the, the it's, it's transparency of culture 
and back to the original point of culture means different things to biz- different businesses and there are different cultures in different businesses but I think if you're transparent you know both if I'm transparent about what I like and, and the business is transparent about the type of culture you have then it's learning to get along and sometimes you know marriages don't work right and and that's that's the the, the rub of it but I think as long as you're transparent you're putting it out there this is what we expect this is who we are you know from both sides then you can manage it. Yes, and I, I think the executive summary of this, which is that you know, management do a whole bunch of things you don't realise when you're starting at the, at the bottom of a company. You, you may be a Python dev or something like that. You think, why are all these guys paid a fortune? What they're doing, they're not doing any deving the whole day. But actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes in from managing any organisation in, in any business. And uh, and this is one of the key things, whether you're managing a small team or, or a large company or a vast mega bank, is, is actually how to keep it sort of bounded together despite heat, energy and friction and, and all the inevitable human um, uh, conflict and, and noise that approaches, uh, encroaches. Right, okay, so look, I'd love to talk about this for the whole day because it's a never-ending topic, but uh, hopefully it's given listeners a little bit of a, a taste for some of these issues and um, perhaps for many of you who are on a different stage and, and slightly short of 450 people like Clarency Cloud, it gives you a, a chance to start thinking about something which may be over the horizon for you in a big, big time, but even as a, as a small co, uh, you need your culture. So, before I put the show, I'd like to thank the listeners out there. I'd like to thank my brand partner for the podcast. Smart is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. The enlistedboard.com resources to help you start making your board an engine of growth today. And in terms of frictions and centrifugal forces, I just published a, an article on there, gone back to writing articles, on board meetings that didn't work out particularly well and ends in a, in a duel for the East India Company uh, in Calcutta, where two, uh, the chairman and uh, the senior, should we say, states director on the company took pistols at dawn. So if you want to read about that, go to the enlistedboard.com and look up articles. Right, Richard, so I hope your board meetings never get to the stage of duels. But um, in terms of currency cloud, uh, you've mentioned your, your culture and an entire little bit in passing about what you actually do. So very briefly what's the shout out to the audience for those people who don't know you enough and what are your future plans and what do you need more of to be even bigger and better than you are today so put simply for those who don't know currency clouds we are the experts in simplifying business in a multi-currency world so for all the the stars of fintech for the the banks looking to digitize their their offering for the embedded finance innovators we are there kind of behind them abstracting away the complexities from from cross-border payments in terms of future plans, listen, we, we are on a, on a mission to be the category kings when it comes to embedded finance. You've ho- heard the adage that every company wants to be a fintech company. And as I said, we're there to help. We're there, you know, there, there's lots of bold companies out there, and we're there to back that bold. That's our kind of headline. We've launched in, in Asia Pacific this year. We're, we're, we're present in North America, in, in, in the UK, in Cardiff, thanks to our lovely government also in uh, mainland Europe. And we'll continue kind of that expansion. We're in Singapore at the moment. We'll, we'll look to expand you know, Australia, Japan over the, the, the coming months. So that's kind of it. Listen, we're, we're, we're at the, I guess, the forefront of the innovation that's happening, huge amounts of innovation happening. Uh, and we'd love to talk to anybody who has customers who, who need to move money cross-border. Excellent. It's never simple starting a business and growing a business, but you guys have, as I said at the beginning, been super successful over a dozen years. So I wish you every success in the next dozen. Uh, and thank you for giving the listeners some in- insights into, as it were, the real politic uh, of culture and the challenges uh, as one grows and the various things that one needs to think about. So thank you very much for that, Richard, and I wish you every success in the future. Thank you, Mike. Great being on. Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts, 
in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today. Contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a vendor all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city With the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so gray With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.